0: All right. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate you and the team. Guys, thanks. Um, Hey, well, you found yourself here on uh, a morning where we are covering part uh, two of a new series we're on called Anchor Point. Uh, And Anchor Point is a series that is built on the little book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. Now, um, the reason we're doing Anchor Point is because we believe that there is a point a place that we should anchor everything to in our lives so that when all of the influences want to pull us and move us away from something, that we have something that we can hold to. Thus, the image of this little raft over here with a rope tied on to the strength of that point in the middle of the water, that life is going to be like the movement of, of a raft on a vast ocean through a storm. There will be undercurrents, there will be storms, there will be sunny days, but in all of that stuff, we want to be anchored to something. We want to be anchored to something. And so, we want to get after what is that something that we should be anchored to. And so we went to First Peter, because here's what Peter says at the end of his little letter. He says this, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Saying that this is what is true this is the grace of God. This is the truth, the grace of God. So stand fast on this. Of all the things that will happen, all the really beautiful days, all the really hard days, all the kind of blah days, stand fast in this truth, in all of what you do in life. Now last week we covered a hard topic. Last week we talked about this whole idea of um, God's choosing through his foreknowledge those for salvation. This is a hard reality that we got after. It was tough last week. And here's what we said last week, and this is, if you get nothing else again from the entire series on 1 Peter, I would love it if we could just get this and keep driving this down to all of the stuff that we face in life, and is this principle right here, that I am not the center of the universe, but God is. That, That I'm not the center of the universe, but God is. In fact, there's so many things in this life that get settled and resolved when we come to this reality and realize, at the end of the day... It's not about me needing to be the judge of what is fair and right, because I don't have the capacity to judge what is fair and right. In fact, I can't even judge what's fair in my own relationships, in my own family, in my own business, in school. I can't even judge that. How am I in a position to judge what is fair and right in all of life? I'm just not. So at the end of the day, I am not the center of the universe, but God is. And Second implication is therefore, if you are chosen by God for salvation, that it gives your life incredible meaning and purpose. That you didn't just stumble into salvation, you didn't just stumble into following God, that somehow God saw you and said, I I want you. How? Why? This is in God's great mercy. He's drawing and calling you. Therefore, you are not an accident, you are not a waste of anything. You are Called and led by God to a life of great purpose and mission within the world in which you find yourself, you are not the center of the universe. I am not the center of the universe, but our God is. Okay. Now this morning, we're going to tackle a different topic, and it's equally as difficult. Um, It's a little bit of a different angle on something that we often um, will see and we all deal with. Peter this morning is going to give us a perspective on um, facing trials and suffering in a way that is unconventional and a little quirky at first, it seems like. So to set this up, I want you to understand what's happening where Peter is writing to, because we're not just pulling a letter out uh, nowhere. He is writing to real people at a real time and real place, and we need to understand what it feels like to be the people that he's writing to. So if you remember last week, I set this up saying that the people that he's writing to are people in the northwest province of uh, Rome at the time. Remember, they don't have internet access yet where they are, okay? They are in the boonies, and they do not have all of the um, infrastructure developed yet where they are. These are small towns that he's writing to, and he's writing to them to encourage them to stand firm in the grace of God. And he's, he's writing because they're undergoing persecution. If you remember, I said that the Christian church grew up underneath Judaism and they were protected under Judaism, but then they began to be verbal and began to say that we believe in an invisible God and a risen Savior. They started talking about things like the end times and judgment and overthrowing empires and all of none of which settled well with the Roman Empire. And so they began to experience a little bit of persecution. And then, when the great fire of Rome, Nero decided to say, hey, a lot of people don't like Christians anyway, There was a fire, let me blame it on you and we'll just ratchet up the pressure. In that context, Peter, who wrote 1 Peter, was arrested in Rome as kind of a lightning rod for the early church, and he was put in jail for that. And so he's writing to people who are experiencing great persecution. And so many of you will remember this. Some of you are actually too young, and this is hard for me to fathom this, but many of you will remember 9 11, right? How many of you remember this simple deal? Real, this is an easy question 9 11. Okay, remember where you were. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this, but do you remember? the feeling that you had after 9-11, the kind of initial feeling that you had, if you had the choice, if you were honest, okay if you were honest and you you would speak to, let me put it this way, you would speak to Muslims in North America right after 9-11. They're feeling the same kind of pressure in the heat of that moment that these early Christians are feeling now. The judgment of people on them. The, the reality that you, if you had the choice between doing business with someone who is a Muslim or not, you might choose not to do business with them because you just might think, I don't know if they're an extremist or not and I'm going to go over here. That all of those emotions and feelings that, that you may have had or that others around you may have had or if you're a Muslim, you probably felt from the broader American world. This is what the Christians are feeling like at this time. It's honestly, it's harder for them to do business. It's harder for them to get ahead. People look at them a little funny like, you were the people who started the fire in Rome. You were the people who were creating this division. You were the people who were doing this. And even though you didn't have anything to do with it, you are labeled that way. And people all around you are looking at you just a little bit funny. And this is the context in which Peter is writing to people who are feeling this right right then so he writes about suffering and trial and and persecution in that context now to bring that up to speed to our day i want to speak to us about suffering but i want to speak about it beginning with this illustration um how many of you ever been to walmart what's the laugh about it's a simple question about walmart right okay Uh, been to Walmart. how many of you have ever seen a child at walmart all right how many of you ever seen candy at walmart how many of you have ever seen a child want candy at Walmart and not get it? Okay. Now, remember this moment. Think about this moment. This, there's a young child going through the checkout with mom or dad or aunt or uncle, grandma, grandpa, whoever it is, right? And they were fine until they saw the M&Ms, right? Or until they saw the Snickers or until they saw whatever. And then they're like, oh, you know, I need Candy. Right, I, mean, I need this, and then when the, a no comes, poof, a meltdown ensues. Right, I mean, how many of you've just kind of seen that and moved to another register? Okay, I mean, you've gone gun down. What else is open? Okay, we've seen a meltdown in in, in Walmart. All right, anybody? Okay, we got a couple of acknowledgements. So here's the reality. Now, let's let's look at this situation because this is a question that I want to press out with you because we can understand it at this level. So let's ask this question. This child, what do they want in that moment? And they want M&Ms. They want candy, right? Now, here's the bigger question. What do they need in that moment? And in that moment, they need to know that they live under authority, right? They need to know... That blessing comes from living under authority and what they want is candy but what they need is something very different now fast forward a little bit same imagery this child now grows up they get their driver's license great moment in their life a little scary for the parents however they get their license and they come back and they say mom and dad i've had my license for a whole week my friends are going down to the beach this weekend they wondered if i could drive them And there's not going to be anybody at the beach house but us, but we'll be fine. What do they want? Okay? What do they want? They want freedom. They want to express their freedom in a way that they think will be fun and bring joy. And what do they need? They need to know that expressing freedom without healthy boundaries always leads to pain and not joy. When you as a parent say, no, I can't give you the keys for that. What happens? In the space between what I want and what I need is where suffering lives. In the space between what I want and what I need is where suffering lives. My problem is I can't always see or understand what I really need because I'm blinded by what I think that I want. Let me put it this way. That suffering is the pain on the journey from what I think I want to what I really need. That suffering is that pain that you and I experience, and the pain that this child experiences on the journey from what I think I want to what I really need. And so the kid, when they say, I want candy, and they melt down in the, in the aisle at the grocery store or whatever in the checkout, they really, really, really want the M&Ms, but what they need is to know that I need to live under authority. They don't get it yet. And so they're going to say, it's not fair. Life's not fair. And when you as a parent say, no, you can't have the keys of the car for the beach weekend. I know you've had your license for a whole week, but you can't have it yet. And they're going to say, come on, mom, come on, daddy. you everyone else's parents would let them and there's this tension between what i think i want and what i actually need and it's within that that the suffering is created now we can understand that for children it gets more complicated as life gets more complicated doesn't it when you think you want the job that you don't get when you want to date the person and you're not ever going to be able to date that person right when you want a life of health and you don't get dealt a life of health. Right? When, when you want a marriage that looks like this and your marriage actually looks like this. Right? When you want to be doing this in school and be trying out and be successful in this and you actually don't get what you want. The space between what I want and what I actually need is where suffering lives. And suffering is that kind of pain, that process, that pain of moving from figuring out what do I really want to what I really need. Now, Peter has something unique to say about the pain of this reality. And it's kind of counterintuitive. So, I invite you to turn, if you haven't turned there yet, to the book of First Peter. Um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's one in the pew around you. First uh, Peter is in the New Testament. Uh, it's on the right third of your Bible, and it, it's uh, after Hebrews um, toward the back part of your uh, New Testament there. Okay. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3 here this morning. Um, and I'm just going to read over the text and then come back to it um, at a broad level to begin. So here we go. Uh, he writes, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" And his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm going to stop there this morning. First Peter one three to nine. Now, I want to start this way. Um, every passage of Scripture that you read has a mood. Uh, it has a, a feel to it, for lack of a better term. You you have moods to so what you communicate to people, whether it's an email or text um, or a Facebook message. There's a mood. Uh, some of that comes out in how you're feeling. There's a mood to this passage that Peter is writing. Now, remember, he's writing to people who are probably feeling like Muslims did right after 9-11. People are looking at us funny, they're blaming us for things, I'm getting pressure socially, uh, business-wise, everything else. And so here's kind of what I want to show you is the mood of Peter. And it's a strange mood, if we're honest. So I'm going to show you an absolutely terrible slide up here, okay? This is, if you are an audiovisual person or whatever, this is an absolutely terrible way to try to show a large group of people some information. But I have no other choice, so here we go. Okay, can you read that? Good. So hey, this might make you want to sit up front or whatever. Okay, this is basically This is just the text that we just read. Because I don't know how else to do it, I'm just going to apologize for doing it this way. But this is what I think will be helpful. As we look at this passage of Scripture, um, what I want to point out to you at the very beginning are words that set the mood. As you read the Bible, you can look through and see here what are the words that set the mood of the text. And there are several, several words in here that set the mood of, what, of how Peter begins writing to people who are going through suffering. And so I'm gonna move to the next slide, which will show you in highlighted and, and red letters what these words are. So check it out here. He begins at the very beginning, and he says, praise, praise, be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, into a living hope. Okay, second word. And then it goes down to verse six. In this you greatly rejoice okay through now though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials and then down into the end of verse uh, 7 that this can result in praise glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed and then the end of verse 8 you know you, you've not seen him you love him even though you you do not see him now you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy check out the mood that Peter is in. This is weird. He's writing to people who are suffering and going through hard times, and he himself is dealing with the reality of an increasing pressure in Rome, right? And he's saying, praise, hope, rejoice, praise, glory, honor, inexpressible and glorious joy. One of two things is happening here. Either Peter is absolutely disconnected from reality, and he's completely off And you know when that's happened, right? When the mood of the room is this way and someone comes in highly celebratory and you're like, oh, they just are not getting it. And either Peter is just not getting it or he's getting it at a level that we often don't get. One of the two is true. Either Peter is off and he needs someone to say, Peter, you missed it here. Or his entry into this issue of suffering can teach us something if we're willing to go there. This is his mood of praise, honor, glory. These are all words of joy. And so he begins in verse three. Praise be to the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. He moves next in his writing, not only to the mood, but now he moves. And this is what I want to show you next up here. We're still going to stay on this bad slide up here. I want to show you next... um, what Peter says that God does in this passage. And this is so important for you to see not what you do or what Christians do, but this is what God does in the process. And so this is now focused, zoomed in a little bit on verses three to five, and you'll see all the red words up here, so check it out. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection, which has nothing to do with us, of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never uh, perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Uh, just look at all of those words. Look at all that stuff. I know it's hard for some of you to see, but it's there in your your Bible. In his great mercy, he has done it through the resurrection into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil the fate, kept for you, shielded by God's power. I mean, if you're going to talk about will this inheritance that he's talking about, will this hold? Who's doing the work here? I mean, are you kidding me? This is is about as locked tight as you can get about a future that is so solid that it just can't be removed. I mean, who in the world is going to pry this away from God? Will you, by disobedience, pry your salvation away from God? Will you, by your, your uh, anger, remove your salvation from God? This is what he's saying, that he has, by his mercy, his choice, his choosing, his drawing, and his mercy, not because you've ever been good enough, by his mercy, he has given, like, just given to you, this inheritance through the resurrection this inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And it is kept in heaven for you. You can't even access it. It is kept in heaven for you. And then it's shielded by God's power. I mean, that is about as locked tight as you can get. I mean, I, I don't know about um, uh, oh, <laughs> that. Oh, oceans 11 oceans 12 so you've seen that movie right you try to get a bunch of guys and break into a, a las vegas bank whatever a casino to steal millions of dollars and you have to have all kinds of elaborate ways to break into a, a place that is just highly highly secure and all kinds of risks come with that and maybe the, the most secure place fort knox you know may never be broken into whatever okay this is, this is heaven. I mean, there is no plan to break into heaven, okay? I mean, there is no plan to, to break through the shield and the power of, of God. Peter is laying out from the very beginning, this inheritance that you have to look forward to as someone who believes in Jesus Christ is so profound that it should shape everything about how you see the suffering that you are in right now. It should shape everything about how you see this suffering. And here's your part in this, and here's my part. If you say or follow Jesus, here's our little part right in here. Who? Verse 5. Through faith. Through faith. Through belief. And this is the only thing that Peter says that Christians do in this part. They believe. They believe. You believe it's true. That sounds too easy. Well, what more can we honestly do? Work hard enough to prove that we're good enough? See, Peter lays it out very clearly that there is power and strength in the inheritance that God has set out for us that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And he continues, in this we greatly rejoice, and though we have to suffer, verse 6, grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes or refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in this praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. And so you haven't seen him, you love him, you see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with inexpressible joy for you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You want a place where you know that at the end of the day I will be saved, Okay, I will return to a place of peace with God. And Peter is saying that this hope of the future is so rock solid That I will put in perspective all the things that I think I want right now in comparison, in perspective, to a reality of a future hope and say that even though I may be suffering right now, even though the wants that I have may not be quite what I want, I'm not getting them, I have a future hope that is so real and so protected by the power of God that it allows me, in this context, even of suffering, to rejoice in a God who holds who holds who keeps in heaven for me this place of salvation that he has offered to me in his great mercy so, I want to talk about the so what I want to go this way with you to help you understand I want to come the opposite direction of suffering for a minute just to help you unpack this I want you to imagine for a minute if you got all the wants you ever wanted you'd probably be dead I mean, I probably would. I would have eaten all the candy in Walmart. I would have jumped in the deep end right away, right? I would have played in the street, right? Wouldn't you? I would have jumped out of the tree, off the roof that I climbed on, right? All things that I wanted. Right? I would have dated whoever I wanted if I were still alive by that point. I would have driven whatever speed I wanted to drive wherever I wanted to, would have driven on whatever lane I wanted to drive on whenever I wanted to, right? I I probably wouldn't be alive if I got all the wants that I wanted. Now, let's just play it out this way. Now, what if I got, though, um, all the wants that I wanted under some kind of guise of um, wisdom and morality? In other words, have you ever said, you ever heard yourself saying, oh, when life is kind of tough and little things are going wrong, whatever, the car is broken or the appliances are broken or family strife or work stuff or kids' stuff or marriage. just kind of like, ah, it's not the end of the world. But uh, you ever hear yourself say, all I ever wanted was, you know, why is it, is it too much to ask? You know, everybody else has. What if you got all those, actually? Just all those. Uh, just all you ever want. You don't want, you know, a, a, a home in Switzerland to, to go off to, you know, and, and three more in, in other parts of the world, whatever. You don't need $12 million a week to live on, okay? I mean, you're reasonable people, okay? You understand. All that I ever need, all that I ever want. I don't want everything. Is it too much to ask? Is it too much to ask if my kids, you know, come home at a reasonable time? Is it too much to ask? Did I, did I make it on this team? Is it, just, is it too much to ask that I can you know, keep this job here that, that's going well? Is it too much to ask for me to be able to say, yeah, I can get into this school? Is, is, it, is it too much to ask for me to say this or that? What if you got all those? Just think about that. What if you got all those? All those too much to ask? Let me ask you this question. Who becomes God in your world? Who becomes God in that Well, you do, right? Because you just lay out what you want and you get what you want. But here's what Peter is saying. That all the things that we lean on and that we hope for and that we work toward will perish, spoil, or fade. Your beauty perish. Spoil. Fade. Your health? Perish. Spoil. Fade. Your wisdom? Your business savvy? Your money? Your education? Your relationships? Your family? I mean, all the things that we just say, if only I had, if only I could. So if suffering... Is the pain on the journey from what I want to what I actually need. It is an unusual gift from God. It is a strange but true gift from God. It is actually a, a head turner. It is a life changer. It moves us from saying, "I'm from, from not even thinking about what I'm leaning on to all of a sudden saying, why am I feeling the pain of loss here? Why am I feeling the sting of trial right now? What is it that I need to learn that I actually need in this time? Not what I want, but what I actually need. And this is why Peter is able to say, praise, rejoice, inexpressible joy, because there's nothing that will touch the reality of the future that he sees. There's nothing that will touch it. It cannot perish, spoil, or fade. Let me put it to you this way. As you ask a question, when you ask this question, is my heart locked in, on that which will perish, spoil, or fade." As you reflect on what does this mean? How do I work this through? In other words, as you think about where you're at in your life right now, the thing that you're working for, the relationship you're trying to get into or out of, okay? the home that you're trying to, to buy, or the money you're trying to make, or the school you're trying to get into or out of, you know, for lack of a better term, the, the growth in your business that you want to have, The things that your heart is locked into, just what you give your time and attention to, you know, wanting to be healthy, you know, wanting to look great, you know, wanting to have a family that's perfect, okay? All those things that you kind of give your your attention to, I mean, it's worth asking the question, is what my heart is locked into going to perish, spoil, or fade? That doesn't mean we don't ever give attention to those things because we do and we should, but at the broader level, how much is my attention locked into what I actually need in the sovereign grace and mercy of my God who gives me an inheritance that I cannot ever see going away? Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said that the uh, steps by which we ascend to the place of joy are usually moist with tears. Pretty packed quotation from Spurgeon, but... The steps by which we ascend to the place of joy are usually moist with tears. What he means is that it is through the the pain of loss. It is through the pain of grief. It is through the pain of frustration, anger, and depression. It is through the pain of fighting and pushing and the tears that come with that, that we move past what we actually wanted into what we actually needed. And when we get to that point of need, there is a joy that is there that is not over here. It just isn't there. And so the the steps to get to the place of joy are often moist with tears because that's just kind of the way that it works. One final question here for you. How willing am I to trust God to take me through a painful process from what I thought I wanted to what I really need? How willing am I to trust God to take me through the painful process and the distance between what I want and what I need? How willing am I to trust him to take me through that process to teach me more about what I really need? You and I both know that our lives are more significant than a child in Walmart not getting candy. Your stuff that you're dealing with is way more profound than that. It is way bigger than a meltdown in Walmart for a no to candy. A child who wants it, who wants it, who wants it, but doesn't see what they need. Your problems are bigger than that. But I just want to tell you, and here's what Peter says, your problems are bigger, yes, but your inheritance is bigger still your future as someone who said I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior your future is bigger still exponentially bigger still lock tight bigger still than the things that you're dealing with not to diminish the pain not to diminish the suffering, not to diminish the sorrow. It's real, and it needs to be processed. There's a time for everything under heaven, a time for joy, a time for crying, a time for laughter, and a time not. I mean, there's a time for everything under heaven. But your inheritance, your future is so real and so locked in in heaven that it gives us, even in the context of what we want in the pain and struggle of life, a place to drop our hope and our anchor To say, even in the midst of this stuff, I'm going to anchor to this. That suffering is God's gift to me to help me not rely on that silly stuff that will always perish, spoil, and fade. It teaches me not to rely on my beauty, my strength, on my wisdom, on my intellect, on my future, on my money. And it is a gift of God to pull that from you now and move you to what you really need, and this trust and dependence on God. And the steps to get there are moist with tears because suffering is the place that we get pulled from what we think we wanted to what we need. But praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, in His great mercy, He has called you, He has led you, He has pulled you into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Will pray with me? Our good God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and for the challenge it is to be pulled away from what we normally depend on, what we hope for, what we plan for, and to be reminded that even in the midst of things being pulled from us that we depended on, that it can be a real gift from you to be drawn closer to your presence, drawn into greater trust, greater hope for our future, and to put our problems and our struggles of this world in perspective. The real inheritance, the real hope that you hold for us. And so I pray that you would give us courage, Father, that you give us courage to place our lives in the right context, to anchor ourselves well to this concept. That we have a hope We have a hope that cannot be diminished, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name.